Welcome to our daily drive time devotions through the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 5, our last day in our look at this great chapter. Yesterday we reminded ourselves that the better you understand your salvation, the more hope, the more trust, the more confidence you have in your relationship with God. I always like to liken it to uh, driving a car. You get in a car and you drive it, you don't have to understand how the internal combustion engine works in order to drive a car. You just drive it. But if something starts going wrong with the car, if you start hearing this weird sound, if you know a little bit more about the car, you can drive with more confidence. You can make a decision with more confidence about what to do in that case. We all have problems. We all have doubts in our lives. We all hear those little pings of doubt. The better you understand your salvation, the more you're going to be able to walk with confidence through life. And the less someone's going to be able to give you some kind of false teaching that heads you the wrong direction, oh, here's how the engine of the car should be fixed, when that's the exact wrong thing to do, and the better you're going to be able to live out the kind of life that gives glory to God. Yesterday, we talked about Adam's sin, and today we're going to focus some on what Jesus did for us. There's a couple of important questions that are covered in Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 21 about our salvation. Understanding the answer to these questions gives you greater confidence in your salvation and helps you to give other people greater confidence in what salvation really is all about. When Adam sinned, we talked about yesterday the fact that that sin universally condemned everyone. And so a question a lot of people have is, well, and when Jesus died and was resurrected, did that universally save everyone? In other words, am I automatically saved or is my choice somehow involved? Well, listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. But the gift, the gift of our salvation, is not like the trespass, sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Are we all saved by Jesus, whether we believe or not, just like all sinned in Adam, whether we were there or not? Adam's sin affected us all, whether we choose it or not. Is the cross the same? Are we all saved by what Jesus did? This is called universalism, whether we believe it or not. Well, the answer, you heard it in those verses, is the gift is different from the trespass. He says it a couple of times. The gift is different from the sin. The gift is greater because it's poured out on all. It's a wonderful gift. But also the verses tell us that the gift is received. There's a difference between the punishment that comes because of sin and the gift that is offered by grace. Our sinful nature is a just punishment for Adam's disobedience. God told Adam that if he ate from that tree, it would bring death, not only on him, but also all mankind. And it did. Now, you don't decide on whether a just punishment happens. It just comes, whether you want it to or not. Grace is different, these verses say. Grace is a gift, not a punishment. A gift has to be received. Here's the difference. If you break the law and you're found guilty, the judge doesn't ask you, now, do you want to receive punishment for this or not? It's your choice. 
No, you were found guilty. You have no choice. You suffer punishment for what you've done. But what Jesus did is offered to us as a gift. When you get a gift for your birthday or Christmas, you have a choice about whether you're open it or not. The gift is received. Sin is universal. We all sin. Grace is full. It's offered to all. There's no one to whom God's grace is not offered. There's no one to whom the gift is not held out and offer. But salvation is individual. It must be received. So how do I experience God's grace? How can I be sure that I have received the gift of God's grace? Well, it's not based just on what you feel. In fact, some people feel that they've received the gift who have not, and others feel at times that they've not received the gift who have. Verses 18 to 21 in this chapter tell you and I that we can be sure with mathematical precision. They, they lay out the truth. How can you be sure? Trust alone in what Jesus did for you. Let me read through these verses slowly and, and, and comment along the way. Verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. You notice it's not based on what you feel or even what you do. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for you. Trust in Jesus' one act of righteousness is what brings justification. Verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, he's talking about Adam here, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. These verses remind us that many people live today, right now, separated from God, apart from God, who are already justified, already made righteous by what Jesus has done. They've just not chosen to receive the gift. And God won't force them to. It is a gift. And God is a gentleman. He does not force his gift upon us. One of God's greatest compliments to us as human beings is that he doesn't force us to choose him. He allows us to choose whether we'll have a relationship with him or not. C.S. Lewis said that in the end, either we will say to God, thy will be done, or God will say to us, thy will be done. Either we'll say to God, thy will be done, and we'll trust him and be with him in all of eternity, or God will say to us, if we choose not to want a relationship with him, thy will be done. And he'll allow us to have that result of that choice, separation from God for all of eternity. There is this gift that God has given through Jesus Christ, and it's offered to all. Now verse 20 says that the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Again, as we've looked at before, the law is not the solution to our sin. It's the clear evidence of our sin nature. It's not the solution. There was one law in the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit of that tree. They disobeyed that one law. There were many laws in the commands given by Moses to the people, and we broke them. God says, the law helps us to see our trespass, that when God says to do something, we do the opposite. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God gave an answer for our sin. In verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, 
so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that phrase, grace might reign. That's where God's plan is. He doesn't want sin to reign. He doesn't want the law to reign. He doesn't want our good works to reign. He wants his grace to reign. Grace is king. Grace gets the last word, God's grace. Do you see why grace has to come through the one? There was one trespass, one act of disobedience. One universal act resulting in judgment requires one universal act resulting in grace. And the reign of sin required a new king for the reign of grace, and Jesus is that king. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing this. It's difficult for us. We have twin values of individualism and freedom, and that leads to an emphasis on the many, what everybody chooses. For grace to reign, we have to break that down. We have to look instead to the importance of the one, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us all. It's important to note that grace is not some addition to God's plan. It was there from the beginning. He dealt with Adam and Eve by grace, with the patriarchs, the early leaders of the Jewish people by grace, with Israel by grace. He deals with us by grace. In many ways, these verses that we've just looked at are the culmination of God's great symphony. I encourage you to get a Bible and read these verses. They, They need to be looked at. In any great symphony, there is both suspense, tension, and then resolution in the music. A dissonant chord is finally resolved by a beautiful chord. Look at the incredible resolution in God's plan. One trespass is resolved by one righteous act. Condemnation for all is resolved by life for all. The disobedience of one, Adam, is resolved by the obedience of one, Jesus. Many were made sinners, is resolved by many made righteous. And then these verses end by saying and reminding us that sin reigns is resolved by the truth that grace reigns. As we pray together, take some time right now to consider the awesome nature of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Think through the story of his crucifixion once again. Think about how his action of love changed history changed world history, changed the history of nations, but think about how his love has changed and will change the history in your life. And as you think about that, say to God, God, let grace reign in my life this week. In fact, you might make that very practical, very personal by saying to God, God, I'm going to let your grace be in charge in this area this week. You might be thinking of some person. You might be thinking of some circumstance. You might be thinking of some temptation. You might be thinking of some opportunity. God, I'm going to let your grace be in charge. Reign. Be king. Right here. Right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, join us next week. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6.